Hi, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Welcome to Tumble, the show where we explore stories of science discovery. Today, we're taking a trip and uncovering a mystery about sea stars and their sticky feet. What you think you know about sea stars' spectacular grip might be wrong. We'll head to an aquarium to see it in action, and then we'll find out how scientists made a big mistake when it came to studying sea stars. Hi, my name is Chloe, and I'm nine years old. And my question is, how do sea stars grip onto rocks? Our listener Chloe goes tide pooling every summer near the Atlantic Ocean. That's where she's found sea stars in the wild. I see them on top of rocks at the beach, and I don't understand how they do it. She has her suspicions, though. I think they might stick on using slime. But how would we know if sea stars are secret slimesters? You should say that ten times fast. I think scientists could find out by putting them on a piece of glass and seeing how they stick. <laughs> That's actually a really good idea. Because the glass is clear and you could get a close look at their um, things. Feet? Do they have feet? They do. They're called tube feet. <laughs> tube feet. <laughs> Do they wear tube socks? Oh my god, that's so good. I had not thought of that one. Depending on the species, a sea star can have tens of thousands of feet. Man, that's got to be a huge sock budget. Yeah, that's what they spend most of their money on. They actually don't wear socks because their tube feet help them stick and they help them eat. Did you know that some sea stars actually pop their stomachs out of their mouths to eat? <laughs> I would really change a dinner party if that's how we did it. <laughs> Ooh, Stephanie, this looks delicious. Let me try. <laughs> it's kind of amazing that anything can do that. I, I thought that sea stars were just pretty simple, like hard things that stick onto rocks. Um, turns out they're a lot cooler than we give them credit for. I started my journey into sea stardom with... <laughs> Good one. <laughs> yeah. I started with Chloe's idea to find out how sea stars stick. My first step was to take a trip to the Birch Aquarium when I was visiting San Diego, California. Testing, testing. That's where I met Delaney Medina in a room with a few sea stars and a sneaky octopus. And a uh, fun fact, he actually got out last week, so we had to put some extra sandbags on. <laughs> Delaney is an educator and naturalist at the aquarium, and she was going to help me get up close and personal with sea stars. But first, I had to get their name right. Is it sea stars or starfish? Because I always called them starfish when I was little. Yeah, so a lot of people have. I called them starfish growing up. Um, but we're trying to more use the term sea star just because a lot of kids can get confused. They hear starfish and they think it must be a type of fish. Um, but they're not a fish. They are something we call an echinoderm. An echinoderm. So they're definitely not a fish. No, they're an underwater invertebrate, which means that they don't have bones. Fish definitely have bones. I've gotten some caught in my teeth. Yeah, but like fish, they can be found in all the world's oceans. Sea stars inhabit all sorts of different habitats in the ocean. Locally here off of California, you know, we have a lot of great tide pools made up of rocky reefs. Warmer waters, we can see them in coral reefs. The sandy bottom, whether that's more shallow or out in the deep, deep ocean, up to thousands of meters deep. 
In the aquarium, they were right in front of me. Delaney had set up two different species of sea stars in clear plastic tubs filled with sand and seawater. It was exactly like Chloe's suggestion. Okay, so the first species of sea star I'm going to show you is called a bat star. And uh, we call it a bat star because if you can kind of see between each of the arms, they're webbed. Kind of like a bat has those webbed wings that stick out. So do they also sleep upside down? No. And sea stars can be all sorts of colors and shapes, and uh, the arms are shaped differently. And then if we turn it over here, you can see the undersides of the arms, and they have lines that run down each of their five arms, and you can see the tube feet. That's what I was there to see. Tube feet. They're kind of like clear pinheads on macaroni. (laughs) That's super weird. (laughs) I'm really glad my feet aren't like that. (laughs) They're all different sizes on all different species. On the bat star, the tube feet are tiny and they completely coat the underside of the sea star. When I saw them, they were waving all different directions, like they're just trying to get a foothold. You can see the tube feet kind of seeking out at the very tip of the star. That's really cool. And moving, like, a, you know, like we think of centipedes having, like, right. an insane amount of feet. Like, these guys have an infinity more insane amount of feet. Yeah. On the larger sea star here, the larger bat star, it just had its tube feet sticking out. So you can see they can use them to stick onto the walls. I took a bunch of photos and videos, which you can see at our website. These bat sea stars are moving, and they just look like they're gliding, basically. Yeah, this this movement, um, it's very it's very uniform. So when it's you know it is slowed down, but you can see it's very graceful. Although these sea stars were really easy to pick up, some sea stars have super powerful grips. Uh, okay, but did you find out how they do it by using Chloe's method? Did you see those little tube feet gripping on? No, I could see how sea stars use their tube feet. But just observing them with my eyes wouldn't explain how they work. That's why after I left the aquarium, I called Chris Ma, one of the world's experts on sea stars. So I've described about 50 species at this point, 50 new species. Until now, I did not know that there were more than 50 species of sea stars even, let alone 50 new ones. There are over 1,900 known sea star species, and Chris is hoping to get it up to an even 2,000. Okay, so can he help us figure out how tube feet work? Yes, and the story starts almost 200 years ago. There was a commonly held notion in the 19th century that the the tips were essentially uh, suction cups. Meaning those pinheads I saw on the top of the tube feet. And this was not an unreasonable assumption because of the shape and so forth. So in one sense, this was your starting hypothesis, you know. This is how they thought it, it worked. A starting hypothesis, meaning their first explanation. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. The problem was, that's where the scientific process ended. For hundreds of years. It was a hypothesis that had essentially become kind of a uh, a semi-fact. So it ended up being just an assumption that they didn't test, like you're supposed to test a hypothesis. It was a hypothesis that was not backed up by evidence, but it was just accepted as true. In the 80s, there were several scientists uh, who began to notice odd uh, holes in this idea. Those odd holes started with 
actual holes. One of the observations that scientists made uh, was that sea stars could move on a porous surface. Suction cups work when you push them down on a solid surface like a window, sucking out all the air. It creates like a cavity or seal that then attaches to the surface, hence the pop when you pull it off. But sea stars are regularly observed in aquariums scooting along grates just fine, which are surfaces full of big open holes. So how could a suction cup work on a surface with a big open hole? And it doesn't. Man, that seems so obvious. Like, you don't really need to be a scientist to notice that. I know. It's just that no one really asked the question. But once they did, the physical evidence against the suction cup theory continued to mount. If you put any suction cup on a glass surface, uh, there's no friction. You can move it around. That's not what happens with tube feet in sea stars, because if you try to move them, uh, they remain stuck. Well, I mean, they could just be really stubborn. And so scientists began to notice something very unusual. And uh, this was that as sea stars walked along the glass, they would actually leave little footprints. And these footprints were solid. They weren't round and empty in the middle, as you might expect a suction cup. They're actual footprint clues. Cold case, sea stars. <laughs> Fast forward a, a few decades later, uh, there were scientists in Belgium who began to study the nature of tube feet in not only sea stars, but their cousins, the sea urchins. They were picking up where the starting hypothesis left off 200 years ago with actual testing. And so what they, they found upon testing was that the model for suction cups was simply not supported. But if not suction cups, what is it? How do sea stars grip onto rocks? The tube feet were using a glue. A, a glue? Uh, an adhesive system similar to the way geckos use uh, a glue to stick to the wall. It was what's called a duogland adhesive system. So uh, sort of two chemicals are emitted by the tube feet, one to allow them to stick and one which allows them to unstick. So this is no Elmer's glue stick or super glue or anything you can buy in the store because the sea stars actually make these chemicals in their bodies that they secrete out to the tips of their tube feet. Like Spider-Man. Kind of. <laughs> so back up. How did scientists figure out that it was glue? With something called an electron scanning microscope. And so these are very powerful microscopes that that essentially shoot electrons at the surface, providing an almost surreal kind of uh, imagery uh, that comes back. When the scientists aimed the electron scanning microscope on the surfaces that sea stars had climbed over, uh, scientists were able to, uh, number one, observe the footprints. What they saw was leftover adhesive or glue. The smoking glue gun, as it were. <laughs> But they also wanted to know how they work, you know, what kinds of, uh, of ducts and other types of uh, places where these chemicals are secreted through the bottom of the tube feet. Here's what they found out. The bottom of every tube foot has a special layer called a fuzzy coat. I love fuzzy coats. They're so cozy. 
When the tube foot makes contact with a surface, special cells release chemicals onto the ground. They form a filmy substance underneath the fuzzy foot coat. Ah, filmy substance. So you would say that sea stars are secret slimesters. <laughs> kind of, but secret slime is just one part of a layered system. Next, the special cells release a substance that bulks up the fuzzy coat, giving sea stars that tight grip they're known for. So they're stuck to the rock, but is it really hard to let go with all that bulk? No, they just release a new substance, and the tube foot picks up easily, leaving the fuzzy coat and all its bulkiness behind. In other words, the telltale footprint. Exactly. Oh, so sea stars are a lot more complex than we give them credit for. Back in the day, simple animals were thought to have simple structures, and in fact, sea stars are not so simple. They're sticky geniuses. You know, keep in mind that that echinoderms in general are older than dinosaurs. Most people don't realize that,、um, and so the mechanisms and all of their adaptations, including tube feet and these adhesive systems, have been around for for hundreds of millions of years. Well, that's crazy that it's only been in the past few years that humans have come to understand what sea stars have been doing for millennia. And we were so content to give it a really simple explanation, which appears in many textbooks as a fact. And so that's why it's always important in science to test the basic assumptions of what you're studying. This is just one example of what happens all the time in science and in life. Sometimes there's gaps between the hypothesis and the experiment. In the meantime, the best available explanation can be misinterpreted as scientific fact. Well, so how do we know what's really known? Like, if we read a fact in a textbook, how do we know it's been tested? That is a big. Question: There's some facts, and they're the starting point of knowledge, not the end of knowledge. Chris told me that if you have questions about something you're learning, go and do your own research. As you look back, you might find something that got missed. And that's really how science works. Like you can always question what's known and discover new things. Right. The scientist who had the same question as Chloe ended up discovering something incredible. And someday humans might be able to copy what these sea stars do to make glue that works underwater. It's like you could be at an underwater crafting party where you're just scrapbooking with a bunch of sea stars. This <laughs> is the picture of us eating some goop on the bottom of the ocean. Oh, that was a fun vacation to the Pacific. <laughs> Now that we've met sea stars, our friendship will last forever. <laughs> Thanks, sea stars. You're awesome. <laughs> What's your favorite animal fact? Once you come up with the coolest thing you think you know about an animal, look it up. Can you find out how scientists know it's true? Is there real evidence and testing behind it? If you think that there's room for doubt, email us with your question at tumblepodcast@gmail.com, and maybe we'll get on the case. Thanks to Delaney Medina. Educator and naturalist at the Birch Aquarium at the Scripps Oceanographic Institute in La Jolla, California, and thanks as well to Caitlin Scully and Beth Chi. Thanks also to Chris Ma, research associate at the National Museum of Natural History at the Smithsonian Institution, and the writer of Echinoblog, a blog for all things echinoderm. It's hands down the best resource for sea star info on the internet. You can check out my pictures and videos of sea stars from my aquarium visit on the blog at our website, sciencepodcastforkids.com. 
you'll see a sea star doing a ninja backbend and find a link to Chris's explanation of why sea stars don't suck. And thanks also to our Patreon supporters, Julian Perry, Go Gators, Julian, and Larson Brown. If you want to join these awesome people, go to patreon.com slash tumblepodcast and support us at any level you like. And if you haven't already noticed, Marshall will add anything you want to your shout out. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I'm looking forward to something weird in the future. (laughs) Sarah Lentz is our editor. I'm Lindsay Patterson, and I wrote and produced this show. I'm Marshall Escamilla, and I make all of the music. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for more stories of science discovery.